Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. What is it that God wants us to do? In this episode, Tim Peters, Neil Griffiths and Pastor Andrew explore the discernment of God's will and how to implement it. Before the service we were talking and Andrew was mentioning things about what he intended to talk about this morning. He spoke of a passage from Habakkuk where the prophet was lamenting how bad things were and they were really bad. There was nothing. There was no grapes on the vine. There was no olives. The fields were bare. The cattle barns were empty. And they were empty because the flocks had died in the field. So things were pretty crook. And yet Habakkuk through this is talking about praising the Lord still through all of the obviously profound problems. No supermarkets. Can't go down to the shops and buy another piece of meat or another bottle of milk. Everything to survive has gone. And yet he's still praising God. And I've tried to think of how to work that into something to say this morning and I guess it contrasts with our own experience. We have little to complain about really and yet we still lament to God that things aren't good enough and that we would like more and can't things go better. And we see Habakkuk as an inspiration there to just maybe try and not bring our complaints to God and to try and pray for something different or talk about something different to God rather than just asking for a bit more provision or a bit more of this and a bit more of that. So Neil's sort of talking about the passage that says rejoice even though everything is bare. Everything's gone wrong and there's nothing there to rejoice in the Lord. But Isaiah can also preach about there being nothing there but also has passages where when everything is going well, when the blessing abounds, also to praise the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. And in Isaiah 61 verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery and the burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their recompense and make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And so there's a sense of rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord when things are terrible and rejoicing in the Lord when things are wonderful. Reminded whenever we sort of had the phrase rejoice in the Lord of Pastor Andrew's message where he sort of says, if things are going bad, jump for joy. 
I don't know how often we actually do that. Well, kids want to come forward for a minute? Can you guys jump? Yeah, that wasn't bad. Why don't you turn around and face the congregation and I want you to jump for joy. Jump as high as you can when I say three. One, two, three. How about hey. school holidays are going to start again? Jump for joy. <laughs> How about school's back? Jump for joy. <laughs> the kids item had this thing about remembering and Lynette obviously spoke about it as well and for me it's something that I try to do because you can bring your petitions to God really easily I think but sometimes good things just happen and you don't quite remember to thank God for a lot of the special things that happen in your life and it's something that I've been trying to do but it still hasn't got to me where it's automatic that I would remember to go, wow, look, that happened and that was really good and thank you, God. I'm much better, but the kids' item gave me some inspiration to even try a bit harder in that respect. My life is filled with wonderful things. You know, there's a few lousy things, but by and large, they're pretty good. So I've got a lot to be grateful for and Father God, I'll try and remember to be more thankful and to remember to praise you for all your blessings. And to be thankful for the lousy things too. Yeah, well, I think I'm worse at jumping for joy when things are going bad. <laughs> well, I'm probably more likely to be on my knees rather than jumping for joy. So that message hasn't sunk in, Andrew, I'm sorry. <laughs> the passage from Micah in our readings today I find really interesting. And at times I have, have this sort of question of what is it that we're supposed to be doing in life, in church life, in family life, what is it that God wants us to do? And at times, you have those moments when it seems really, really clear. You have those moments when it can seem hard, and like maybe we need to do all these things. But at the end of that passage, Micah 6 verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, or walk humbly before your God. And at times we can think that we have to do a whole bunch of things. And obviously there are lots of things to do. But what God is asking of us is often just to walk humbly before him, to act justly, to love mercy. There are things that we need to do to take a stand for things, but also just to walk humbly before our God. I find that verse really encouraging. And it, to me, jumps out at the end of that passage where it's about all these other things and it's just all that's required is act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. And I think that resonates a lot. If you listened to me last week and I was talking about my resolution and my motto to pick up Andrew's call of doing what matters to Jesus. And that's easy to say and oftentimes harder to do because you know what really does matter to Jesus mightn't be so obvious. It mightn't be sitting right in front of us. And I was just listening to Tim there and I thought, okay, well, if we haven't got a clear word from God or a clear indication of what matters to Jesus in some situations, then maybe just walking quietly and humbly will provide some insight and better insight into what we should be doing. So I'm going to ask you a question. And this kind of follows on from what we've just talked about. You know, what are we actually supposed to do? At times I have the question about how should we be growing 
as a church and what should we be doing? I've been reading a book over summer, parts of which I find really good and parts of which I don't. The guy's a Christian, but it's not a Christian book. And it talks about taking massive action and doing a lot to make things work. I guess the question I have is, what would doing a lot to make things work be and how does that fit with the passage we just read? So, as far as what we're doing as a church, you and me have had quite some discussions about this and I've felt in the past that we've been really close to some sort of a breakthrough into what we could do to advance God's cause here on the earth. And it's been really frustrating because at one point it felt like it was almost touchable, but I couldn't touch it. And it was almost visible, but I couldn't see it. And nothing ever came of that. And I never got any more of an inspiration or an insight of what that was. And the only answer I can give to that question is some months ago, Andrew was talking to us before a service about our commitment to what we're doing. And I realized that my commitment wasn't wholehearted. I was trying, but I wasn't trying in this particular field with all my effort. I wasn't giving it everything. And so I think that that's the answer to that question is that where we're not giving 100% and we're not wholehearted and fully committed and in for God, then we should try to make that the goal that we're striving for and the answer to that question, to be fully in. And it does make a difference because I did change and it felt better and it was better. And there is something about when you actually jump in and just do it wholeheartedly and fully. By times I get worried about, is it going to take significantly more time and how is it going to impact other things? But sometimes it's just actually going, well, the time I have, I'm going to jump in and I'm already doing things. It's actually doing them with that sort of full effort, I think, makes a difference. I don't know that we're asked to commit more time than what we're doing, but it's the commitment within that time that we're doing. So how we just go, well, I'm just giving this everything. Maybe God's not asking me to do more, but maybe he's asking me to give my full effort into what I'm doing, to dive in completely. The other passage that's been on my heart in the past few weeks is one that I remember sort of God laying on my heart as a teenager, and it's a passage in Isaiah 42 verse 3 and it says a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish he will faithfully bring forth justice and there was something really comforting about that verse when things are are really difficult and you're feeling like you don't have much faith left or you don't have much joy left or you just don't have much of anything left that Jesus is there and He's actually going to care for you, even when you're bruised and battered. And he's not going to lay a burden on you that's going to break you. That when the flame is only just still there, he's not going to extinguish it. And when you don't feel like you have much left at all, he's still there. And that's okay. It's enough. You're not going to be extinguished. You're not going to be sort of broken uh, in the process. We spoke at men's group a fair bit about a thing called the long dark night of the soul. And various of us thought that we might have experienced it. You know, some were convinced they'd never experienced it. 
even though we thought, well, they probably had. And just thinking about that breaking point that Tim was talking about, and I'm just recalling what I had spoken about last Sunday and thought, wow, I was perilously close to breaking. And God stepped in just in time, I thought. I'm not sure how much more I could have stood in that situation. I was thinking about walking away because I just so depressed about what was going on. And I hadn't read that passage before God had saved me. Maybe I should have. So you haven't dwelt at all about that essence of grasp that we had felt a couple of years back. I think it was through 2020 where we were doing things that we had to do within a lot of constraints. And we'd been tossing that around. And I really think that there's something out there, but I can't find it. I don't know what it is. I remember those conversations. I remember that sense that we had. And that's part of what I think I've been reflecting on in the past few months or so and trying to work out what it is and is it that much different to what we're doing. As you can see, we still haven't quite figured out what it is we're sensing. But there's something there. And I don't think that means that we're not doing the right things now. It just means that somehow we think we could tweak what we're doing to better achieve what God wants to do here. And so it's a tantalizing prospect. And God, if you want to reveal something, then go for it. I'll be trying to listen. And tied up with this, I've also just finished reading Psalms again. And there's a long series of Psalms where the psalmist is basically complaining to God and saying, why are my enemies prospering and why aren't I prospering? Why aren't you listening, God? It hit me at a point where I didn't think God was listening to what I was doing at this time, and this is only a few weeks ago. It's something that I think that is hard to get over. If you believe that your enemies are prospering and you're not prospering, then why is that happening and what can we do to change it? And it all turned around, or it all hinged on just doing what you could do in the jobs that you were doing to the best of your commitment. Other than that, you start to try and second-guess God or you're basically almost telling God that he should be doing something that you want him to do. And that's not a really good place to be and I don't think you get very much out of that if you go down that route. Yeah, there's something in that sense of just continuing to do what God's called us to do. Even when we don't feel like things are going where they're supposed to be going, it kind of brings us back to the very beginning of what we were talking about of just going, okay, this is where you have us, this is what you've called us to, we're going to do it as best as we can. And in the end, it's up to him. And as part of what I take away from that verse from Micah, it's not necessarily all these things to do, it's just to walk humbly before God. So I'm trying to learn my lesson and not make plans for God to implement. When I've let God do what he wants to do, it's always pretty good. Not very often does he do what I tell him he should do. Stop telling me what to do and start waiting for me to do something and asking me what I want to do. That's it. Asking God what he wants to do. And for him to bring his processes in, not necessarily to to fix it how we want to fix it. What Tim and Neil have been talking about, of that sense of God being present and then nothing happening, has been there for 15 years. And I'd even say to the group, can't you feel God is here? And get no response from anybody. 
in that and thinking something really awesome is about to happen and something awesome doesn't actually happen. Well, maybe it does, but not what you're expecting. And it came back to me that at that point in time is God actually asking us to do something. And it's never been really clear what that is. I would suggest to everybody that if God has said something to you and you're not sure, come and talk to me. If you are sure, go and do what he told you to do. Because that's the only key I ever see in God when he comes in such a presence is, will you do what I asked? And uh, while you've been reflecting here, I remember back in 1998 when we had left a parish in Melbourne, God said, do not apply for a job, do not do anything to get work. Any door that you open will be the wrong door. And I'll open the door for you. And we did that. We simply did not apply for jobs. And God started doing something. But the end result was that at the beginning of 2000, I was principal of Garden City College of Ministry and ministry development pastor of a church of 2,000 people. And I opened the door of the principal's filing cabinet and in that were all these applications for my job, which I didn't apply for. And God just did awesome work through that. The college multiplied by 500% in a couple of years. And I just felt this morning God saying, just be still, don't open any doors, don't instigate anything, let me open the next door, because any door that we open will be the wrong door. So it's probably a time for us to be still. But also that thought, what do you want us to do, God? Which is what I think you guys have just been saying. Instead of telling God what we want him to do, we should be saying, well, God, what do you want us to do? And that means every one of us. Don't think that you're not important. Don't think that you're not someone God is speaking to. Because God takes the least person sometimes to act and do his will. And there's a story of a missionary group in Africa and they've been praying for months and there was a prayer meeting and this little old lady there. And during the prayer, God said, hit the table with your fist. And it took her some time to do that. But finally she did. And from that point on, revival just broke out in their mission. And so we might think whatever it is is not really important. But what God is actually looking at, will you do what I said? Right, simple as that. And Neil will know I challenged him <laughs> some time back about, have you done what God's asked you to do? And he went back and looked and he said, no. And he did it. And I think everything turned around. Is that right, Neil? Oh, that was one of the times, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do it. No, but if we just do that little thing and let God do the big things. Well, this has been an interesting way of us doing the message. But I think there's been something really powerful in the conversation and the reflections, and I hope you've found that as well. 
I hope you're encouraged that there's a sense that God has each one of you here and we're here together and there's something really powerful and exciting about that. Why don't you bow your heads? Dear Lord, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you that you have your hand upon us individually and your hand upon us as a church. And Lord, we just submit ourselves to you. We ask that you would be clear with us as to what you are asking us to do. Give us the courage and the strength to say yes and to do those things. And we pray that you would just pour out your anointing upon us. That you would pour out your blessing upon this church and that we can be a church that rejoices, that rejoices in you when things are going well and rejoices in you when things are difficult. And Lord, we pray that you would just expand and grow us individually and as a church. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au